Hey everyone, I'm Britt and welcome to Educate Me, a podcast where we share stories of surviving and thriving in graduate school. My guest this week is Dimas Adiputrantu, a master's student in kinesiology at the University of Victoria. We talk about what it's like to return to school after being in the workforce. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Uh, can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, hi Britt. Uh, thanks for having me here. So my name is Dimas and um, I'm a master's degree student uh, in kinesiology at the University of Victoria. And um, I'm defending this month on the um, August 27th. And um, I think that's a brief introduction. If you need me to actually introduce myself in a longer version, I can do that. But for the sake yeah, of time being... <laughs> tell me more about tell me more about your research. What are you researching? <laughs> okay, so my research uh, is actually looking at physical inactivity amongst uh, children in British Columbia, and um, so the program that I did was um, actually part of a larger project sponsored by the Childhood Obesity Foundation and the BC government, Ministry of Health. So yeah, um, it was pretty much uh, looking at different ways to increase uh, the level of physical physical activity amongst um, BC children. Awesome. And uh, did you figure out a way to increase activity? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a good question because we, we've had like so many different layers that we were looking at, right? So um, there's a friend of mine who's also working on this project and then she focused more on the nutrition side of it. Whereas me, uh, my main focus was more on the uh, behavior change. So I also used uh, parents as the catalysts to change the behavior and the approach toward physical activity. So children, like BC children in this regard, they could see that more like as something that is enjoyable rather than like, oh, it's too taxing, it's too time consuming, it's boring. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was more related to behavior change rather than the physio physiological and biomechanical side of it. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, thanks. And so you're at the University of Victoria, but you're not from Victoria. So where are you from and why did you choose uh, the University of Victoria? Okay, uh, so this is uh, kind of like a funny story. I am originally from Bali <laughs> and uh, I did my undergrad in physical education in the UK and I was working as a teacher for a few years here and there. And uh, so again, like why I was interested in uh, the study that I am doing right now was because as a teacher, I saw like physical inactivity as some kind of a trend, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. In different schools that I was teaching at and I just got interested. So I thought, you know what? I was 33 when I um, decided, you know what? Maybe it's time for me to just go back to school. And I thought, let's just start looking at different options and I was working at an international school then. And um, I think within like those two weeks, um, I had had like different conversations with different professors from different universities. So I completely like lost track. So like, okay, this professor belongs to that university. <laughs> and so I bumped into my current supervisor right now, Sam, Prof. Sam Liu. And he told me about the project that he, um, he was doing and I was like, oh, this is very interesting because I'm a teacher and this is why I'm interested in uh, your project. So I think it would be great if I could be part of it. But the thing is like the, the name Victoria was so like diverse <laughs> and because I had lost track like what I said. So I thought it was like University of Victoria is in Melbourne, Victoria. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And, Much closer uh, to home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I thought, and I used to live in Australia, so I was like, 
<laughs> I guess it's, it feels like coming back home. And um, but then he sent like a few different scholarship links that I could apply to. He was like, hey, you should apply. Maybe, you know, um, you can land one of these. So I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? And then all these links ended up with .ca. <laughs> and I was like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I think there's something here that I'm missing. And I was like, oh, yeah, that guy didn't have an accent. <laughs> and then at that moment, I realized, like, I guess I'm moving to Victoria, Canada. Like, where is it? <laughs> so, yeah, it was not like me choosing Victoria deliberately. I mean, I'm, I remember, like, looking at my professor's name and I was interested in the program that he was doing. But again, because I had lost track, but I'm glad that I ended up here. Um, it's great, like good lifestyle, great outdoors. So mm -hmm. can't complain. <laughs> that's that's an amazing story. I, I love that. Um, yeah, Victoria is, is really nice uh, part of Canada. And we always joke that it's like the British island of Canada. <laughs> Have you been? Um, yeah, actually, uh, quite a bit. And my um, my grandparents-in-law uh, live in Victoria, so we go out there fairly frequently. Oh, really? Where about yeah. Victoria? Uh, James Bay. Oh, nice area. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, it's perfect. You know, I, I love that area. And yeah, yeah, Victoria, just Vancouver Island is, is really gorgeous. And yeah, it's just amazing for, well, it's not really like a small island, but like the um, access to the um, all these outdoor activities here, not just in Victoria, but the whole island is just amazing. Yeah. So yeah. I'm blessed, yeah. It was yeah. a good mis mis a good a good mistake. <laughs> that's that's really funny. So yeah, I mean, like most people choose graduate school based on their supervisor, but then they also yeah. factor in location a little bit. But yeah. uh, but that's that's yeah. fantastic. You know the funny thing though, I actually had a conversation with someone from um, Memorial University of Newfoundland. Mm -hmm. And um, I had no idea where Newfoundland was, so I had to look at Google Maps and I was like I don't know if I could survive the winters there. So. <laughs> that is, yeah, Victoria luckily has very mild winters for you. So. Yeah, so it's great. You it's, lucked it's, out in that sense. I know, um, and it's very, very similar to the UK where I used to live. So yeah. um, it's um, it's great. It's been it's been awesome here. Yeah. So yeah. I actually also used to teach in the UK. Oh really? Yeah, uh, wow. before grad school. Yeah. And so I remember like considering like you were a phys ed teacher, I remember uh, I was a German teacher, so it was an option. Yeah. And so it was a little bit easier to engage students because they had chosen to take a language, at least in the upper years, in uh, yeah. year seven, eight, they were kind of forced to take to take either German or French. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't too difficult to, to engage them in that sense. It convinced them of why to participate. And I remember other teachers would remark on how, how easy the phys ed teachers had it because everyone loves phys ed and it's so easy. There's no marking, but of course there's GCSEs for, for phys ed and all that yeah. too, which we don't actually have in Canada. Like you get your credit in phys ed, you may have to write some unit tests here and there, but yeah. it's not a major exam and subject. Mm -hmm. um, and so I also went in with this bias thinking, oh, phys ed is easy, like mm -hmm. people get into it. But then when I became, uh, or when I was on the senior leadership team as our department head, we had to do those like walk around the school and kind of check in on everybody and learning walks and things like that. Yeah. And I would frequently get called over to the phys ed block because yeah. there were students who were just like, were refusing to change, refusing to engage, refusing to, to participate in phys ed. Yeah. I'm going to make up like every excuse out of the sun. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely noticed a gender difference. Um, it was very mm. much the girls who were very hesitant, especially like year 10, yeah. uh, <laughs> were very hesitant and really didn't want to engage in phys ed. And so I'm wondering, yeah. in your research, did you also notice, uh, is there a gender difference or did your research get into that at all? Um, I did not get too much into uh, the gender of the children, but one of the uh, find findings that I personally find quite interesting was the fact that most of my participants were mothers, mm. um, regardless of the uh, fact that they were single or not. But it's quite interesting because I was like, huh, maybe like for future research, I actually put that as one of the um, future recommendations for subsequent research, like mm-hmm. uh, how this can actually add more dimensions to uh, what we're actually looking at, because we actually have to report this back to the uh, Ministry of Health, right, here in BC. Right. Yeah. And um, nobody was actually looking at why it was predominantly moms and uh, where did the fathers go? You know, like I only had, um, I think, three out of 25, if I'm not mistaken. It's been a while since last time I saw my data set. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, it was quite interesting. And it was the same with um, my colleague who was uh, doing the nutrition part of it. She also said, um, yeah, like most of my participants, she had, I think, 56 or 57. Uh, 78% of them were mothers. So I was like, mm-hmm. huh, interesting. So, and I don't know how to explain that um, at this point because it was not really part of the um, yeah. goals that I was looking at. But yeah, it's, it's, it's quite interesting to see that why uh, in terms of gender, um, girls and women tend to be like more interested in this. You know, and yeah. I think it's I think it's research more in general too, because even like I do research on feedback in undergraduate with undergraduate learners, yep. and um, my survey participants were pretty mixed. But when it came to participants, student participants in my focus groups, whether it was instructors or students, mm-hmm. um, it was predominantly female. Uh, so my instructors, I only had one male instructor out of five. And in my students, um, I can't remember how many I ended up, including the focus groups, but I remember there was only one male of probably like 15. Um, And and this is, like I brought this up with my instructors as well, and I said, this is really Mm -hmm. interesting. Um, And they said, yeah, it tends to be the uh, women who are, they participate more in class or Mm -hmm. any sort of research. Another one said, yeah, in my research too, it's, it's always female participants. And so I'm really curious to see if that holds across like research in the social sciences. Yeah. Um, Did you do any like further research on that? I haven't looked into it and, but it's come to mind because there's all of this uh, stuff coming out about health research where health research is based predominantly on white males. Mm. And so things like uh, you probably saw that uh, recently Canada changed its guidelines on um, body mass index. Yeah. And, uh, and so the BMI is, is based on white man, white men, right? So uh, we see that or other health research is done predominantly on white men. And so thinking about that recently, thinking about, okay, well, but what is it about then social sciences research 
that tends to attract more women, female participants, right. or more women. Um, mm. And it seems to be it's a cross discipline. So uh, like I'm in education, it happens a lot. It happened in my master's research as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then uh, this other instructor was in sociology and, and she was saying she gets predominantly female participants. Yeah. So yeah, I wonder, I wonder what's, what's up with that. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned that because I remember when I was uh, in the UK, uh, back at my old university, um, I was helping a friend with his project, and it was more um, biomechanics. So it was like very like hard science stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And um, most of his participants were actually males. Hmm. So I was like, huh, okay, this is pretty interesting. Whenever you're doing something more like you know leaning towards social science part of it uh, again like what you said is been like predominantly like females but then it's more like 60 to 40 when it comes down to more like hard science stuff so and yeah. i guess maybe in a way it was because more like i don't know what what he did was related to like strength training and also like um jumping on um, some kind of a weird surface something like that mm. so probably you know that also played a role in um, explaining why it was predominantly males. Yeah. Whereas like yeah. when I do interviews and things, yeah, maybe it's mm -hmm. women are more or female participants are more interested in, in talking about things. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, it's a massive generalization, right? But I also yeah. did um, like post-program satisfaction um, interviews as well, just to add more dimension to uh, my findings. Mm -hmm. And I interviewed three dads and they were so like brief and concise, <laughs> but I tried my best to just like, maybe I'm just like a bad interview, whatever. But with mothers, it was just so easy because I would just need to throw like one sentence, right? And they would talk for like five or 10 minutes. I'm like, this is perfect. Keep going. That's really you know? interesting. Yeah. So, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it was something new for me. And I was like, ah, oh, you know what? I think future research might benefit from this. Yeah. Well, there's so. a new research question for me is why, why women tend to participate more in interview-based research. Than yeah. <laughs> and you're still a PhD student, right? I am, yeah. So I'm a yeah. well, PhD candidate. So I'm now in the phase of uh, data analysis and writing. Okay. So more data analysis right now than writing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I finished data collection in uh, about middle of May. So. Okay. So yeah. roughly like one more year? Yeah, more hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. It's, it, nice. yeah. it's always hard to say, but I mean, like I could push and probably finish earlier or I could stretch it out just depending on the funding situation and the job yeah. market situation and all those things too, right? So. Yeah. That's the thing about PhD is why I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think I can handle like the pressure of, um, I don't know. I mean, it's different for everyone and I wouldn't say no, like a solid no right now because you never really know what's going to happen tomorrow. But yeah, I think in terms of like the pressure and then, you know, just, just the whole life idea of staying in that academic bubble for like three, four or five years, focusing on just one thing. I don't know if I can, I can do that. I appreciate people who can do that, such as yourself, of course, because I think <laughs> you guys are, are amazing, you know, like mentally you guys are so strong. I'm like, I would probably cry every single day, seven days a week. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I think, it, I mean, when I originally went to grad school, it was, I was frustrated with like in the UK, the mm -hmm. grading system was changing. So the GCSE yeah. exams were going from worth, I think it was like 60% to up to 100% of the student's grade. Mm -hmm. And at the same time in Alberta, here we have diploma exams. So similar end of, end of graduation exams, 
and they used to be worth 50% of a student's grade and they were dropping to 30%. Yeah. And so I thought, how, like, how are these two jurisdictions making such drastically different policy decisions when like they would probably have the same research available to look at, right? Like, so how are they making these policy decisions? So I initially went to graduate school wanting to look at like um, language assessment policy and assessment policy and and how are these decisions made? Mm -hmm. Um, But then I got, I found uh, a couple papers and I got really interested in, in this idea of of feedback and how is, how is feedback done and, and all of that. So, and the anti-grade movement and all that sort of stuff. So I ended up kind of going a different direction than I originally thought I would when I came into grad school. And Mm -hmm. I also thought like, oh, I'll go do my master's and then I'll go back out to teach or go into administration or, or whatnot. Yeah. But I, I got pretty good at grad school. So I'm like, well, like I'm actually a pretty good student. I mean, I was pretty good undergrad, but grad school was going pretty well. So it was like, okay, well, you know what? I might as well continue. I'm kind of on this path and it's going to be easier to just continue than it would be to take years out and then try to come back. So yeah. Um, it was kind of, it was more the path of least resistance at the time. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. And so, so I, like, yeah, sorry. Oh, I was just saying, like, I'm, I'm, I'm still not sure if I'll end up in academia long-term, like, or, mm-hmm. I mean, I probably won't go back to K to 12. Um, now that my research focuses on, on feedback, uh, and assessment in higher ed, um, right. but not, not sold on academia either. Right. Like there's so many problems with academia. So yeah, yeah, I was just going to ask you that question, actually, you know, anything like related to academia, like, because you're doing a PhD and you're hopefully done within a year or so, hopefully yeah. less. Um, so yeah, like, I don't know how you would perceive yourself after you're done with that. Would you go back to like the industry or do you think academia is for you? Because like for me right now at this point, um, I'm 35 right now, I don't think I would have the energy and passion to do that although one of my colleagues she's a phd and um, she's married she got one kid she's 43 and the passion is like way up here so kudos to her yeah i think i think you're 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 on it like it comes down to do you have the passion to do it or do you have the passion for something else and i think mm-hmm. i yeah i got really interested in my research um so i started my phd at i think it was 29 when i started mm-hmm. um I'm 32 now, so I don't I don't know how long I've been. I guess I'm starting fourth year, but so I think yeah. I was 29 when I started. <laughs> You've lost count now. I've lost count. I've really lost count. See, that's um, what happens in your PhD. <laughs> really, like these, and well, and it's it's weird because like you say you're in fourth year, but it's because like you've only finished three. You haven't yeah. finished four, so it feels it feels kind of funny. So I finished three, so that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and it's like I don't know where that time went. Also, like it. It also just yeah. went really quickly. And I think a lot of people experience that too. And, and I've also really tried to like milk the graduate student experience for mm-hmm. everything it's worth um, yeah. in order to like, you're only going to be a grad student once, ideally. I know one person who has two PhDs, but that's definitely not in my plans. Oh my God. Um, but like, you, you never know, who knows? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think... Yeah, it's, it was more about like, I don't know, the train just kept going type thing than really yeah. to think about, do I have time or the energy to do this? So it was more mm-hmm. like I decided I'm going to do it because this is kind of like the path I'm on and yep. then I can always like take another path later. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like I thought I would be a classroom teacher forever. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I was like, 
now I like I really want to go to grad school so okay um, yeah and in terms of like staying in academia like I think I mean I'm definitely looking for the tenure track positions mm -hmm. they're far and few in between and also like location is really important so I, yeah. I don't have any kids yet but I do have a partner and we've been married for seven years now mm -hmm. so he's been on this whole grad school journey with me <laughs> And, oh, wow. uh, and so location is also important, like where he could be happy and where he could fulfill yeah. his career goals as well. So um, yeah. when location is such a factor, it's it's hard. Like, I mean, we could go anywhere because we're mm -hmm. not necessarily tied to where we are right now, but yep. it has to have like certain components. So for sure. Yeah. But like, if you don't want me asking, are you guys like happy uh, living in Calgary now? Yeah. I mean, I'm from Calgary, uh, so it's it's easy for me to like it in terms of like family is here yep. and whatnot. Um, but like we're an hour and like 20 minutes ish from the mountains. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, my husband is a, um, snowboard rock climbing and mountain biking instructor and does Perfect. like outdoor ed stuff. Yeah. So like he needs to be close to the mountains. <laughs> so, so it's really good for that. But he was born in Vancouver and he lived there for quite a long time before coming to Calgary. Yeah. Uh, so it's like Alberta or BC are like in the top. top yeah, yeah, yeah. Rest, yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Right. I've never been to Calgary, but it's definitely on my list as well. Uh, I've been to Edmonton though. Um, Calgary, Calgary's better. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that. I heard that. Like, you know, most of my friends who are from Calgary would say that. And for most of my friends who are from Edmonton, they're like, nah, I could argue. Okay, you know what? I'm just going to leave it to you guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's I like I did my Bachelor of Education in Edmonton, actually. Yeah. Uh, so I lived there for, yeah, two years. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the U of A campus is beautiful and it's amazing. Um, and it's much more centrally located, although Calgary keeps expanding around the university. So it beca keeps becoming more and more central, yep. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's like, it's got a lot of great culture and everything, but yeah, uh, it's much farther to the mountains. You don't get the same like warm weather Chinooks that we get in Calgary. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm but pretty happy with my Valley. Island. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Rockies though. Yeah. You cannot go yeah. wrong with the Rockies, but no. I'm happy with my Island here. Yeah, I mean, Vancouver <laughs> Island's Vancouver Island, but yeah. Yeah. So as you come yeah. to, to the close of your master's and you're not planning, planning, but you never know what happens, to continue with your PhD, <laughs> yeah. um, what would you say has been like the biggest challenge for you in graduate school? I think, um, I would say I, I was kind of like underestimating it um, in a way, you know, uh, prior to um, actually doing grad school. Mm. And I thought, you know what? I I was a teacher. I've been a teacher for eight years. Uh, there's nothing that can go wrong. It's only about translating whatever I've learned as a teacher in real life in the industry, so to speak, to the writing part of it, right? Like doing research and ethics and all that, all those sorts of things. Um, but I didn't know like how much like my brain, my brain was just so rusty. <laughs> And I didn't realize it had been like that way. So when I started doing like my very first paper, I was like, how do I do this again? Mm. How do I, how do I read papers? How do I skim the papers? How do I do lit review? I didn't even know how to outside APA, you know? So for me, like, oh, it yeah. was like, yeah, it was, I struggled from the very bottom. So it was again, like I started from the scratch and I, I wouldn't mind doing it, but I just didn't realize that it would be that challenging for me academically. So my first paper, I didn't do well at all. And I was like, 
oh, okay, I guess this is what uh, imposter syndrome feels like, right? Mm-hmm. Because I felt like most of my uh, cohort uh, people, they're like, they know what they're doing. But once I started reaching out, they're more like, no, actually, we don't know what we're doing. Like, you know, uh, how do you do this? How do you do that? I still need like some guidance here and there. Uh, it was such a huge relief, but I think that and um, because, you know, being a kinesiology student, so of course I'm coming from a very physical background as well. But mental health, to me, uh, I didn't realize how important it was until I was, you know, like a grad student. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, you know what? This is something that I need to uh, focus more on because it's um, it, it was and it's still kind of like challenging in a way to just get rid of uh, all these negative thoughts related to like... Um, do I deserve to be here? Like, am I a good mm-hmm. grad student? You know, like all these um, different things just because you're overthinking things because it's just, I think it's just the nature of grad school. So I would say the most challenging part would be mental health and the fact that um, my professor has been really helpful, but he's young, he's my age. And mm-hmm. um, so he is on like a big mission to get like, you know, like full professorship yeah. and then pushing out like all the papers and stuff like that. And so I think in a way I kind of feel like, and I'm also his first ever full-time grad student. Ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in a way, like he's also learning, but yeah. I also feel like I'm his guinea pig because, oh yeah, you know <laughs> what? If that approach didn't work well, let's just try with this. Oh yeah, that didn't go well either. So let's go with this oh, one. No. Like, yeah. So in a way I think, you know, like, oh wow, this has been like a long, you know, journey for me. Uh, he's been helpful, but he's like, again, because he's still young, he's still got so much passion and energy to do his research. So I feel like the pressure that he's given me in the past couple of years, it's, it's, um, it's just crazy. You know, uh, I've just had way too much on my plate and I've never had any like proper weekend until I officially submitted my thesis last weekend. So yeah, it's just like the constant energy, like all gas, no break sort of thing. And um, yeah, it's more about the constant pressure that made me think like, I don't know if I'm ready for a PhD after this. I mean, it was never, never. It, I mean, it never really crossed my mind, but I was thinking about it at some point. You know what? I was like, let's go to grad school, do a master's and then maybe continue doing PhD afterwards. But like after one year of doing this under his supervision, I'm like, nah. Not happening. <laughs> yeah, that's that's intense. So there's a couple things that I want to talk about that you mentioned. So first, yeah, yeah, sure. like, so being an older student coming into graduate school, um, yeah. what I noticed is like I think in education that's actually pretty common. So mm-hmm. I didn't have that as much of an experience with that. So like in education, there's a lot of people who go out and they teach, teach for a few years, they notice the problems, and then they want to come back to grad school and fix it. And so. Um, in education, I think we have a higher like average age, but then in other subjects like kinesiology or like the hard sciences, I shouldn't say hard sciences, but the sciences uh, <laughs> and things like that. And even sometimes the humanities, yeah. they go straight through from bachelor's, master's, PhD, and even in engineering, sometimes they're skipping the master's and, and transferring into PhD. To, yeah, I and agree. So, yeah, like I found that my friend groups are quite young <laughs> yeah. um, or and, and, or even like people who are hold, hold similar leadership positions as I do now mm-hmm. are like 10 years younger than me. And it's, I don't really notice until I think about it because we're in a very similar stage, but, um, 
did you notice that as well? And like, do you find that that contributed a bit to that sense of imposter syndrome of like, I'm older, I should know what I'm doing or, uh, just because you had that gap in, mm -hmm. in academics? Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I thought I was like one of the um, oldest students in my cohort, but then, you know, uh, of course we uh, had to introduce ourselves, like what we've done and stuff like that. Um, I would say I'm like right in the middle because I have a few people who are in their early forties, mm. you know, so they've done like lots of things out there in real life. If you can actually put it that way. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't say it was something that contributed to my imposter syndrome. For me, it was more like um, not knowing what to do when I had to uh, do my ethics, for instance. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and um, like a few stats because um, my project is um, like a very quantitative project, you know. And I thought I was good at stats, but then I started having a conversation with my prof and then he started talking about things that I'd never heard of before. So I'm like, whoa, like I'm still nothing here. I thought I was legit at stuff, but apparently I'm not, you know. So I think it's just like a bunch of different experiences that I've had in the past two years that made me feel like, you know, the brief version would be like, maybe I'm just stupid, mm. you know. But, um, but then at the same time, like I always reached, I think one of the things that I noticed from myself whenever I feel like, okay, you know what, this is not right. I got to do something about this. I always reach out to people and I'm not shy admitting the fact that, Hey, I'm struggling. Yeah. You know, because, um, that in my opinion is what's lacking amongst, uh, grad students, you know, in higher education setting, even undergrad students, like I was a TA mm -hmm. my first, uh, couple of terms here. And I noticed like some of my undergrad students, they didn't do well academically, but they just didn't reach out. So I just had to reach out to some of them. I'm like, hey, can I help you? I'm a TA, yeah. so I have more time for you. And it was exactly that. That's uh, what I noticed. Like, oh, you know what? Like, people are struggling in higher education, but the part of the problems is that they just don't reach out. You know. So I think, yeah, um, it's something that I know people should be doing because that's what I've done. You know, whenever mm -hmm. I feel like. I cannot do this. And some of my questions are very, very basic, but I want to be vulnerable. I have to reach out to someone that doesn't judge me. So, and it can be yeah. hard sometimes, you know, I think one of, uh, part of my problems is that my professor, he's crazy busy. Like, you know, again, like what I said, he's on a mission. So for me to um, pop into his office, asking like a bunch of uh, basic questions by his standards, I would feel like, because his answers sometimes just didn't help because he would say something like Dimas I taught you this last year you should remember I'm like dude this is why I'm just a master's student you know if I was not a if I was a prof then I wouldn't be here you know yeah. I'll be working with you doing something so I think in a way also like again he's still learning so in terms of like how he develops a relationship there's there are like so many things so many layers that he still needs to improve in my opinion but then at the same time I also don't want to bash him because Part of it was also me learning in a whole different way, right? Because yeah. I'm like on a whole different spectrum here. I'm a master's student. So like, so let's say what he could finish in one day, for me, it might take a whole week. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like it's, it's been a constant struggle in a way, but I've learned a lot for sure. But I think, yeah, part of the problems is that um, people just don't reach out. And then I think they should have, to, they, they just, they just have to do that more. I mean, 
just find someone or like a group of people that you know that I can be vulnerable. I can actually just be myself. If I don't know anything basic, I can just ask them without having to worry that they'll judge, they'll judge me just because I'm a grad student. You should know this, you should know that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a process, but. Yeah. I think that's so important. This, this idea of reaching out and, mm-hmm. but it can be hard. Cause I think part of it is that like grad school also feels really competitive. Yeah. Like you may not be competing for grades necessarily, uh, but competing for scholarships and funding and grants and awards and all that sort of stuff. So it could be really like really vulnerable to then admit to that group you're competing with in a sense to say that, mm-hmm. Oh, like here's where I'm struggling or this doesn't make sense to me. And yeah, yeah like I, I found I didn't experience too much of that in my master's because I did my master's in language and, and diversity. And so all my courses were very like, I I knew the theories behind language education that we were talking about. And like I had been a a language teacher, a German teacher. So that was all pretty, pretty clear. Mm -hmm. So I didn't, I feel like I didn't face that a lot in my master's until I started writing because writing is hard. (laughs) And I was like, how how do other people write? Like what is theory? Like, (laughs) uh, but then I, when I entered my PhD, I did my PhD in, um, or I'm doing my PhD in learning sciences, Mm -hmm. which is slightly different. And, uh, in the sense, like the coursework is, is quite different and much more theoretical, yeah. uh, way more theoretical. And I was struggling like right off the bat. And my um, cohort that I was in, because I had, I did a bit of a different um, uh, court journey through my courses because I was also president of our Grad Students Association at the time. So I wasn't taking as many courses. And then it was second semester and everyone had already taken this course that I didn't take. Yeah. But it was also not a prerequisite for the course I was in. And everyone was talking about these things. And I was like, hold up, like, explain this to me. I don't get it. Like, I need, I need help. And I just decided, I was like, I don't care. This is a small enough group. They know I didn't take the course. Uh, I just have to admit that I, I don't get it. And maybe that will also create space for other people to say they don't get maybe something I'm talking about. And, yeah. uh, and I actually like had to remind the prof. I was like, I did not take that course. It was not a prerequisite for this course. So mm-hmm. like, if you want to catch me up to speed, like catch me up to speed, but don't act as if like, it's my problem. Yeah. Um, and I was much nicer when I said it, <laughs> 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 but it's just like, I didn't take the prereq, like help me here. And, yeah. and that really helps. And I, in terms of, of being able to, to get along with my cohort, cause then they also didn't think that I was just like, coasting or whatnot or trying to coast but mm-hmm. um yeah that was really challenging to to be in a situation where I felt like everyone knew what they were talking about mm-hmm. and here I am like who who let me into this PhD program like I have no idea what they're talking about why they admit me me into this program yeah so yeah that can be that can be really hard uh how long did it take for you though when you just so you started doing your PhD how long did it take for you before you started feeling more comfortable academically you know roughly Um, that's a really good question Mm. I think because I had been really successful in my master's Mm -hmm. it didn't take too long because like I knew like I knew okay I can do this it's just this topic area or it's just like like I also approach education from a very pragmatic perspective of like, okay, how is this going to improve or help teachers or change what we do in the classroom yep. versus the very theoretical, let's talk about figured worlds. 
<laughs> it's what we talk about in learning sciences. And I just like, it was hard for me to wrap my head around, but because yeah. I had been successful in at least the courses I'd taken so far and in, um, in my master's, I think I was then able to rely on that past success and be like, no, I've had success in the past. I will have success in the future. Um, and kind of use those as like reality checks. Um, yeah. That's a good way. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think that helps. Um, but I still like, I really struggled with that course and almost withdrew like three times. Mm. Uh, and I had to have a couple friends talk me out of it and be like, I mean, they're like, you're the grade doesn't matter so much. You need the course credit to, to continue and to finish. Like, mm -hmm. just don't worry about it. And just try to try to get it. So. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's really about you know your circle of friends, right? When you have like the right people around you, it. I really, really find that super helpful. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's hard. Like everyone talks about imposter syndrome because it's real and it it continues. Yeah, exactly. And just because you've tackled imposter syndrome in one area, mm -hmm. uh, doesn't mean it won't crop up in another. So, like, I definitely. Yeah. I see it pro like every time I'm writing, <laughs> it tends to pop up. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, especially I struggle with being like wordy enough. Like I'm too concise. Mm -hmm. Whereas everyone else seems to struggle with not being concise enough. So I'm like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had that skill. I'm always like super duper text heavy. And then that's been pretty much my, uh, my constant, uh, the constant feedback I've received from my uh, prof. Hey, Dimas, try to be more concise. Try to be, try to just get to the point right away. Like, oh, shit, okay. <laughs> no, my, my feedback is always like, so what? What does this mean? Tell me more. It's <laughs> <laughs> like the exact opposite, eh? <laughs> but like, I've, I've yet to meet someone. So, like, I actually remember, I think it was our first, um, our first uh, grad student, like, symposium thing. And I was just doing, uh, I think, like, a 15-minute presentation. Mm -hmm. And the person organizing it in our faculty was like, well, we do it because like you're going to have to do shorter presentations like for your whole career. And it could also often be very difficult to shrink it down and what you want to say into 15 minutes. So it's a good chance to practice and all that. And I'm like, no, like I need help like expanding it to 15 minutes. Like what is wrong with me? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, wow. It's yeah. I think it's amazing that, you know, like throughout my grad school journey, I've met like a bunch of different people with different skill sets. Like, Someone like you, for instance, you know, like I can be super concise, but I need to expand my ideas more. Whereas me, I'm, I'm like the polar opposite. I'm always all over the place and I find it hard to just narrow it down, you know? So yeah. And I know like I only have a 12 minute window for my uh, master's thesis presentation and mm. yeah, I um, did my dry run yesterday and I ended up, um, I think like somewhere 15, 16 minutes. So I was like, you know, you know what? I got to cut a few things for sure. Yeah, cut a few things, talk faster. I also talk really fast. So with yeah. presentations, I also tend to be short on time. Yeah, that's the thing though. That's something that I cannot do. Like I, my tempo is slow to medium, you yeah. know, because I want to make sure like people understand my articulation, like everything is clear. Uh, I think it's also part of the um, imposter syndrome whenever I'm presenting. Like I, I have confidence when it comes down to public speaking, but it's more like, Thesis defense, the, uh, the pressure is just different. It's, yeah. it's not like presenting it in front of a um, public where they know like they've paid for you to be here. So they would listen to you for like, I don't know, like an hour or two, like having a discussion after that. And it's going to be light conversation. Whereas with thesis defense, it's more like you'll be judged. You know, I'm going to ask you these questions. So you better prepare for that. Like, okay, cool. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I think yeah. I think too, like yeah, I've done a lot of public speaking, luckily, and and somewhere, uh, luckily, they just give me a script and I just read it, <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's easier to be slower on that. Um, yeah. But also the sense, and maybe this is also a, a factor of imposter syndrome, but that I know I have a lot to say, but I don't mm. want to take up too much time. And right. so if I say it faster and get through it, then I don't take up too much time. Yeah. And, and I think that's like, I'm working on that as well. Like, no, just slow down and make sure that they actually get everything you have to say. And it's okay if, if you take a minute longer than you were allotted. Lots of people do it. Oh yeah. Everybody does yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean a minute, right? It's not like five minutes or 10 minutes, something like that. Yeah. 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 Like no one's going to care if you spoke for six minutes versus four minutes, really. Yeah. Um, and so it's okay. Like it's more important that they actually hear what you have to say and, and speak that way. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Whenever I'm teaching, I always say, like, I, I know I talk fast, uh, especially when I'm excited. <laughs> so <laughs> tell me to slow down and it's okay. Like you won't offend me. Um, and I remember years ago, I did a, uh, a program in Spain where, uh, they bring in native English speakers yep. and then all these companies send, um, Spaniards to this like little hotel village thing. And you spend a week just speaking English and there were sessions where you're paired up one-to-one and, uh, yep. in one pairing, someone came and they're like, oh, I'm really, like, I'm really nervous to talk to you. And I was like, why? Well, I've heard you talk really fast. <laughs> 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 oh, that's and I was funny. like, oh no, like I'm Canadian. Like it's, it's kind of a thing we do, but I can slow down. And then, right, right. and then at a meal, we always had to sit like two Spanish speakers, two English speakers. Yep. And at one meal I was paired with a Texan. And which ah, like okay. The exact opposite. Right. And I'm yeah. sitting there going like, can you just finish your story? like come on speed it up buddy and I was like I can't ever sit with him again like it drove me nuts and it was too slow for you it was too way too slow way too slow so uh yeah I mean there's both sides but I do I do so (laughs) yeah I have like kind of like a similar story um so when I was doing um my degree in the UK um one of the subjects that I was taking uh the professor was from Glasgow and um, I had to have a meeting with him, right? And I, I still remember his name was Alan, a uh, nice person. So I was like, hey, so I dropped him a line like, hey, Alan, can I just uh, pop into your office? I got like a few questions regarding the uh, assignment that you've given us, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, sure. And uh, <laughs> he was talking for like 30 minutes and I couldn't understand why he was saying a single word oh, at no. all. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, he's Scottish, I forgot. And he's from Glasgow too. So. <laughs> But he was just so much into like the topic, right? So I couldn't, I just, and I was young, so I didn't really have like, you know, enough guts to just cut him. I was just like pretending like, oh yeah, okay, cool. Just keep going. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, oh my God, the accent was just so weird. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Nice person though. And it's kind of funny. Like when, um, I think like what you said, like, you know, when, 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 uh, when he got excited, he would just keep going with his like mm-hmm. last region accent, right? But in a classroom situation, he would slow down so I could understand. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it's um, it's funny how um, we as humans work sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that reminds me when we lived in the UK, we had a Scottish power. So every time I had to call like for a bill or whatever, um, yeah, and always someone with a Scottish accent. And then there was one time where I couldn't understand his accent very well, and he couldn't understand me very well. 
And so we had to keep asking each other to repeat. And it was yeah. kind of funny. I mean, in the end, we got, we, in the end, we figured it out, but, uh, but it was pretty funny. Nice. Yeah. But I think like, <laughs> uh, going, going back to talking about like being vulnerable, I think as a yeah. TA, like that's something that like every grad student who's teaching or TAing can do in the sense of not waiting for students to reach out. Um, but reaching out to them. And that's something I try to do when I'm teaching as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but well, like, what was the uptake on that for you? Cause one thing I found is that I'll reach out and reach out and reach out. And sometimes they respond, sometimes they don't. And luckily the program I usually teach in, we do have um, associate deans of students. So I can say like, I'm concerned about this person. Mm. They're not responding and they'll follow up. But um, like, what was your experience? Did you have students respond right away? Or like, how did you approach that? Um, I think for me, like I applied my experience as a high school teacher um, to the whole TA thing that I did here. Yeah. And I think, yeah, in terms of age, there were also like most of them were um, first and second year students. So mm-hmm. like not, you know, that big of a gap. Um, I wouldn't say I'm an expert, but at least I, I had done that before. So I was like, you know what, maybe this would work if some of them just don't want to reach out for some reason. Right. Um, I've actually, I've had like a few students popping into my office crying, <laughs> you know, uh, and I was like, okay, you know what? I'm a TA and this is why I'm here. And because sometimes professors, they're just not able to actually just be that close to the students because they're just way too busy. Right. So that's why, oh, yeah. that's yeah. why we'd hire as TAs. Yeah. So yeah, I think, uh, the whole approach was more like translating whatever I had learned being a PE teacher for a bunch of high schoolers to uh, most of my first and second year, second year undergrads. Some of them, of course, uh, they just wouldn't reply for whatever reason and I just wouldn't push them, but yeah. I would give them like a follow-up email telling them like, hey, uh, UVic has got a few resources. If you are struggling with writing, if you're struggling with stats, I can help you out with that if you want. Uh, we just need to book like a, you know, like a one-on-one block uh, sometime next week if you want to do it. But I think at the end of the day, um, there is only so much you can do as a TA, you know. So you can write like as many follow-up emails as possible. But if at the end of the day, they just don't reply, then you've done your part. And that's yeah. what I believe in. I mean, I, I wish I could help them all. But again, there's only so much that I could do. And um, I think it's good whenever you feel like you know you've done your part it's okay yeah yeah yeah. that's awesome cool yeah 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 Yeah. so um any final tips that you have for master's students who are maybe starting out or in the middle about how to get through it (laughs) uh (laughs) if you are like in the middle and you're kind of like in limbo uh if you think like do i have to continue doing this like i don't need this I think I've been there. I know exactly how it feels, you know. So it's it's uh, sometimes it's hard to just get over it. But again, it's classic and it sounds cliche in a way. But honestly, um, just finish what you started and think about why you wanted to do that in the first place. Mm. You know, like I think it always come back, comes back to that because you know, like remember that feeling when you were so motivated to go back to school because you wanted to do something and you had like so many ideas sometimes it's hard to forget all those things when you're you know you're facing like 
so many uncertainties. Like, I don't know if, if whether it's coming from your professor or you're struggling in one of the courseworks, stuff like that. But I think it's always good to remember, like, this is why I wanted to do this in the first place. And I think it's always good to have like a journal, you know, and sometimes I find it really, really helpful to just look at my journal, like, oh, this is what I did last year on this day. This yeah. is great. I've grown a lot. I've developed myself a lot. So, yeah, I would say just keep thinking about why you started and write a journal. It helps a lot. Awesome. That, that, yeah, that's a great tip. I think it's, yeah, and tracking, particularly tracking even small successes. So you can look yeah. back and say, like, oh, look, yeah, I've accomplished this or I've come so far, those sorts of things. Yeah, and uh, maybe one more thing. Like, mm-hmm. I, I personally do uh, mixed martial arts, so <laughs> I find it super helpful whenever I feel like, oh, this is not my day. Let's just go to the gym. <laughs> and I would spar with someone. And, of course, yeah. you know, in, a, in, a, in a good way, right? It's in, a, in a, like a, It's not like just like trying to uh, hit someone in the face and just uh, make them bleed. It's not like that. <laughs> but I, I find that, you know, if you have something to look forward to each day after you're done with your uh, grad school stuff, whether it's yoga, uh, mm-hmm. meditation, whatever it is, it can be anything really. Uh, pick something that you know you, you can actually just, uh, I can stick with it for the next two, three, four years or even for the rest of your life because I've done it for so long. So I, I feel like in a way it's, it's, it's been really, really helpful, helpful um, in terms of like if I feel blue, if this is not my day, then I can just easily just go to the gym, just meet my friends. And it's also like it's a, it's a different circle, right? So uh, you don't get to see your friends from lab over and over and over again. So you get to see like different people from different circles. Um, I think it's always helpful to have, um, you know, different people to go to whenever you want to do something different. Yeah. Like having some yeah. sort of outlet or hobby or, or something that can yeah help take your mind off of, of grad school. Okay. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, but I mean, if you're not into mixed martial arts, don't do it. <laughs> 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 but it's out. fun yeah but it's fun i'm telling you it's crazy fun <laughs> that's awesome awesome well thank you so much for coming out to the podcast it's been uh wonderful chatting with you and uh all the best really good luck on your defense i'm sure it will thanks. be great thank you thanks for having me thanks for listening to this week's episode of educate me don't forget to follow us on twitter and subscribe on stitcher spotify apple podcasts google podcasts podcast addict or wherever you listen to podcasts a huge thank you to our audio producer sean paris join us again next week for more stories of surviving and thriving in graduate school until then stay in school